have a copy of God's Word, once you find the Gospel of John, John's going to be in the New Testament or the second uh, half of your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, just kind of try to hit the middle, which is Psalms, if you've got a book like this, or if you're on, the, on your device and you just keep going down, you'll see um, a sequence of books. One will start with Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke, and then John. We uh, call this uh, part of the Gospels, and so John, he knew Jesus, and uh, we're going to look at one of the stories that happened with Jesus tonight. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to tell you a story about, um, about one of the most significant spiritual influences in my life, and it was my, my brother Cole. And Cole, um, man, when he decided to sell out to Christ, uh, he just, he went all in. And so he was the guy in high school that when he started following Jesus, man, I remember after his sophomore year in high school, he went to Africa for the entire summer. Um, most 15-year-olds don't do that. And then after his junior year in high school, he went to India for the entire summer for the sake of the gospel. And, and all the while, he was learning uh, how to play the guitar and writing worship songs and leading worship. I remember we would go on Wednesday nights um, after football practice. We would go to this little church right there by the school. And, and man, he'd be pouring out his heart and praise to God. And he actually was uh, on staff at a few churches leading worship. And we um, went to the same college together for a few years. And so here's a picture of us in Alaska on a mission trip about 12 years ago. And so one of the cool things about uh, him following Christ and being inspirational in my life, and uh, man, it was, I had the opportunity to do ministry with him. So he led worship at some camps that I, that I put on. He worked at a Christian camp. And, and then here we are uh, just a, a few weeks ago. He just got married. And, and so that's uh, me and my brothers and my mom. And so he's the, the guy wearing uh, the lei right there in the middle because they just moved to Maui, Hawaii, uh, him and his wife. And so they're living the dream, super excited for him. But about four years ago, um, he called me and, and he began to tell me about an experience that he had over the series of about seven days where he just said, Chad, I, I uh, got to be honest with you, I, I, I don't believe that there's a God. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a tough week for me, but I think I've wasted part of my life. I, I don't think there's a God. And, and he said, man, he said, to, to be honest with you, I was like, well, how, how, do you just, how do you just walk away? And he said, well, this hasn't been an easy experience for me. In fact, it's been a little bit of a crisis. And so he began to tell me about the experience that he had. And, and man, he told me that it really, in a sense, like his heart was broken because he felt like for, you know, 15 years of his life, he'd been chasing what he come to believe was, was a lie. And his heart was broken, and in that moment, man, my heart was broken too. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to begin to talk to you about a series of conversations that me and my brother have had over the last uh, few months now about why he walked away from the faith and, and what, what led him to uh, the conclusions that he came to and then, and then what does that have to do with those who are trying to pursue faith. And, and so if you're here and maybe, you, uh, maybe you've been disenchanted with religion or with faith or maybe you've been disenchanted with God, I just want to extend an invitation, man, like to come and, and see what, what, what the conversation will entail over the next few weeks. And if you're here and you're a believer, man, you're, you're sold out to Christ. And I just want to invite you to be a part of the conversation, too, because um, I, I want to, you to know that for the believer that this is just as significant for you because we don't want to argue with people that think differently than us. So we don't want to disagree to a place of division and, and a place of destruction, but we want to have civil conversations with people. And we want to express to them what I told my brother, and I'll tell you here in a minute what, 
that was all about. So we began this conversation a few weeks ago about his experience, and I want to invite you into this because I know that some of you have come in here, maybe you've been, you've been migrating away from uh, the faith that, that you grew up in, and maybe some of you are here, maybe you've been feeling those tendencies, or maybe some of you are here and you, you know someone that's maybe been walking away, and, and that's what Paradigm is all about, man. We want to have a, a very frank conversation about the realities that are in our culture, and because my brother Cole is his name, he, he's not a unique case, and, and if you're here and you, you're skeptical, you don't know if you believe in Jesus or not, man, we are so glad that you're here, seriously, and I want you to know that you're not unique either. In fact, um, there's this whole group of millennials that are referred to as the nuns, not like the nuns, like a monastery or a, a convent nun, okay, the N-O-N-E-S, that's why we're calling the series Nun. The nuns is a sociological term, and it represents about a third of the millennials, and what nuns are is that they are religiously unaffiliated Americans, the nuns. So Pew Research did a, a big research on uh, American religion, uh, religious affiliation in our, our contemporary culture, and, and what they found out was that about 25% of the U.S. population are nuns, and about 35% of millennials, and we're, we're, most of us in here are millennials, would say that, that they're nuns, that they're just not affiliated. Like, are, are you a, a person of faith? No. Are you an atheist? No. What are you? I'm none of the above. And so this is not something that's so obscure or so unique, but it's something that's very common, as a matter of fact. And most of the nuns, most of them are dudes. Most of them are left-leaning politically. Most of them are theologically agnostic or theologically apathetic. And, and really what, what classifies the nuns is that they're just done. The nuns are done. They're done with religion. Uh, they're, they're maybe not atheist necessarily. They're not anti-theistic necessarily. They're just like, you know what, I, I just don't care. And, and they're done. They're done with religion. It's not, if you ask them hard questions about metaphysical realities, about where they come from, they would just say, don't ask me a ton of questions. This isn't like a philosophical thing. I just, I seriously, I'm just done with religion. The nuns, they're, they're done. They're done with church. They're done with God. And, and, and they're done with the God that they were presented as children and it's not that they found atheism all attractive, but it's just that they lost their interest in faith, that they found religion extremely unattractive. But how did we get here? I mean, how did this become such a popular notion in our culture? Y'all, some of y'all remember, I was a junior in high school when uh, the World Trade Center, the towers, the Twin Towers were hit by airplanes. And what happened in that time was it began this kind of, um, this, this really a little bit of a healthy skepticism towards uh, religion because the people who ran uh, or who hijacked these planes, they were religiously motivated. They were religious zealots and they believed that they were getting some sort of special heaven because they ran these planes into these buildings. And so what happened in response to that were some really, really brilliant men uh, began to write some things that began to question uh, religion altogether. So a guy named Sam Harris, a neuroscientist, in 2005, he finally got his book published, The End of Faith, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. And this was like a scathing critique of, of not just Islam, but all religion in general, and so much so that um, Harris began to get all kinds of criticism from Christians in America. So in 08, he, he published another book called A Letter to a Christian Nation. I've been reading this book, and, and, and it's really like, I mean, he, he is aggressively uh, calling out the, uh, what he would call uh, ignorance of Christianity. And uh, Harris is so diabolically opposed to religion that he was quoted saying this, that if, if I could wave a magic wand and get rid of either rape or religion, 
I would not hesitate to get rid of religion. And his book spent over half the year on the New York Times bestselling list. Next guy, in 2006, Richard Dawkins, probably some of y'all have heard of Dawkins. He wrote a book called The God Delusion. And in The God Delusion, Dawkins is a, is a, a very outspoken atheist. And he says this, he, he gives kind of, like he shows his cards out right out the gate. And I appreciate this. He says that if this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. And Dawkins, The God Delusion, maybe some of y'all have read that book. I mean, it sold, uh, he sold um, 3 million copies, and it was published in 35 different languages. And then in 07, a guy named Christopher Hitchens, he's a journalist, and he wrote a book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And once again, man, just an attack on religion in general. And, and these guys it made up with a guy named, um, I think his name is uh, Dennett is his last name. They make up the four apocalypse or four horsemen of the apocalypse of atheism. Anyway, um, they sold, like they were wildly popular and they still are. They sold millions and millions of their books. Um, they were on talk shows. I mean, they, they were given the, the media platform in our nation. And, and, and these guys were wildly popular. But I, I want to ask a question tonight. What do you think Jesus thinks about what these guys think about? Jesus. Or my brother Cole, what do you think uh, Jesus thinks about what my brother Cole thinks about Jesus? Or, or maybe you just make it personal. You see it on the screen right there. What do you think about, excuse me, what do you think Jesus thinks about what you think about Jesus? And so something interesting happened in our culture. What happened was that atheism didn't necessarily grow. Like if you study what's going on with atheism, it's not like booming in our culture very much so. But there was this new category of people who began to read these books, began to listen to these guys, and they said, you know what? Maybe there are some questions that are unsettling for me, and maybe, I, maybe it's not all that I thought it was. And they began to leave. And so this new category, a third of millennials would say, man, we're done. We're not atheists necessarily, but, but we're, we're just none of the above. And so I wonder, what does Jesus think about what we think about Jesus? If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to John 20, and we're going to start in verse 24. Now, just to kind of keep, keep, uh, excuse me, just to kind of catch you up in the story, um, Jesus has began his ministry. Um, he has lived his life up until this point. We're coming to the tail end of the, the Gospel of John, and what we've seen is Jesus has been like rock star status in this culture. He's gone from town to town. People have gotten to know him. He's healed people. He's healed the blind. He's fed thousands of people. He's done these incredible things, but also he's become incredibly divisive up until this point. And because he began to say things like, I am God, he began to say things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If, and they begin to say, well, let us see God. He says, man, if you see me, you've seen God. And so Jesus has been saying all these things, and, and it led him to the point where people begin to accuse him of blasphemy. And so in this culture, they, they had it all arranged where he was crucified. And so Jesus, he was, most of you know this story, he was crucified on a Roman's cross. They executed him. They beat him blood, blood mercilessly. I mean, they got him, all, I mean, and then they tortured him on a cross. He died. And then the story goes to tell us that, that three days later, he resurrects from the dead. Crazy idea. But he raises from the dead and he begins to reveal himself to some people. And we're picking up in John chapter 20, starting in verse 24, and here's what it says. Now Thomas, called the twin, or Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples therefore said to Thomas, they said, we have seen the Lord. 
If you don't get anything else tonight, Christianity could be made up into these five words. Because, guys, before the Bible is a book of ethics and a book of right or wrong and that sort of thing, the Bible's existence, its intention is to be a declaration of these five words. We have seen the Lord. That the core of Christianity, what made Christianity explode onto the scene in history is that, is that men and women, they saw Jesus killed on a cross and then they saw him raised to life. They're like, we can't explain it all, but we cannot deny what we've seen. And it sounds audacious because dead people don't come to life. But we saw our boy tortured and killed. We've seen the Lord. And so they tell Thomas, man, we've seen the Lord. But man, some of you are here, I'm like, man, that is so hard to believe. But guys, just because something's hard to believe does not make it not true. Just because it's hard to believe doesn't mean that it's false. And so they simply say these five words, we have seen the Lord. And then we see Thomas's response going on in verse 25. He said to them, unless I see in his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This phrase, believe, it means I will not be persuaded. I will not place confidence in this. He's like, man, I've got to, I've got to experience this for myself or I'm not going to believe. If you're taking notes tonight, I want, you to invite, I want to invite you to write down this first phrase that, that choosing not to believe is a belief. Choosing not to believe is a belief. Some of you have come in here and maybe you've heard about Jesus or maybe you have that really super spiritual friend that wears like, you know, shirts to say instead of straight out of Compton, it says straight out of the Bible or something like that. Like they're just fanatic. They're always trying to like lay hands on you. They're like, man, quit laying hands on me, man. And they're like, let me pray for you. Like they're that friend, you know. They're like, Lord, I'm there. they, you know, you say like, man, I've had a, a hard day. And they're like, man, well, let, let's just lift you up. You're like, what are you talking about? You're going to carry me? What's this lift you up thing or whatever? And they're like, man, the, the church service this weekend, man, it was fire, and they use, you know, words that don't really go with church. Anyway, so anyway, you may have that friend, and, and they'd be like, man, I've seen, and then you're like, no, hey, I don't know what you got going on, but I, I don't know if I believe that. And saying you don't believe is actually a belief. We all have belief. It's part of the human experience. And choosing not to believe is a belief. Thomas, he says, man, unless I get to search Christ for myself, I won't believe. What he's saying essentially is I need proof. He's saying that, that I need to see Jesus. And, and listen, so do you. Long gone are the days where we'll just submit to the cultural climate of our day when it comes to religion. Just because that's what we're supposed to do. We're millennials, man. We rebel against the system. Because we see a lot of the times that the system's broke. And so you need to see Jesus too. That's why one of our, our, our vision statements here at Abundant Life is we want to be a living proof of a loving God to a watching world because, guys, y'all know this. Believers, you know this. And if you're not a believer tonight, you know this as well. People don't care what you say. They care what they can see. And we need to be able to, to portray the the, the life of, of a changed person from Jesus, that there's this movement away from religion in our culture because it's part of uh, this reality that religion, let's just be honest, it's lost its appeal in our culture. Like at one time the church was such an irresistible movement, even if you disagreed with what they had to say, you're like, but man, they're just so loving to one another. Man, they just had, they, but for some reason or another, man, it's lost its appeal in our culture. And maybe some of you are like Thomas and you walked away from the religion that you grew up in, but, 
But what are you walking to would be my question. Because when you step away from something, you're stepping towards something else. And so maybe you're here and you chose to step, to step away from Christianity or to step away from the religion that you grew up in. But when you step away from something, you're in fact stepping towards something else. And, and you may not know what you're stepping towards, and that's okay. But I just want to encourage you to think tonight with me. Evaluate where you're headed. Because, guys, here's the problem a lot of times is that we begin to get cynical or critical towards a faith construct that maybe we grew up in and we leave, but we never apply the same criticism towards where we're headed. And so just be fair, Socrates, not a believer, but he said this, the unevaluated life is not worth living. And so I want to invite you over the next few minutes just to consider where, um, where the road will lead you. If you step away from faith, the opposite of faith would be anti-faith, would be atheism, okay? And so atheism, real quick, atheism is not just a simple disbelief in God. Actually, atheism is, is a, um, a complex belief system that logically has some consequences that lead to some unsettling conclusions. And I want to invite you over the next few minutes just to consider uh, three uh, logical consequences of atheism if maybe you've stepped away from religion. And if you chose especially to give up on God entirely, that this is the alternative. This is kind of where you're headed. This is the, the end game if you choose atheism. So here's um, three logical consequences with maybe some unsettling conclusions. The first one is that the, there's this illusion of the mind. If you choose atheism, if there is no God, then really, come on, there's no you. Like if we're just, if we're just uh, biology, chemistry, governed by physics, there's no you. Christopher Hitchens, when he was um, dying, unfortunately, he died of, I think, ALS. He wrote a book right at the end of his death, and the doctors kept telling him, hey, Christopher, your body is fighting this. Your body's fighting this. He says, quit saying that. Uh, my body's not fighting this. I am a body. He's saying that, that I, I am not me. I don't have anything immaterial. I am my physical. And so what this means is that, that there's really no Chad. I, I'm just DNA speaking right now. I'm just a body. There's really no Chelsea. There's no, you know, things that, that you know, that, that make her smile, that make her light up the room. My wife, there's, and there's, there's no you. Try to live like this. <laughs> Try to just treat people like, hello, DNA. You know, hello, glob of biology. And, and you know, I mean, try just give it a shot. See, if, see how it works out. It's an illusion, an illusion that you're really you. The, one of the second illusions is the illusion of, of free will. Um, uh, Stephen Hawkins, another super incredibly intelligent, I think he's a physicist, incredibly intelligent guy. Um, he would say this, that it's, it's what's called determinism. In one of his quotes, he says this, that everything about the human experience is determined. And because it's determined, it doesn't matter. And so maybe you're here tonight and like you've got your eyes on some man tonight. And you're like, he is, he is like, mm like a gift from God, like did the unicorn of masculinity just walk in? You know, what's your name, right? And, and what, what uh, Hawkins would say, and, and if you choose to step away from God and believe that there is no God, then, then what you're saying is really uh, you don't have a choice in the matter, that, that you didn't choose that good-looking girl that's sitting next to you. It was determined that there is no free will, that, that maybe you had something to eat today. It, it wasn't your choice. It was determined by physics. Um, that maybe you, you're like really wanting this job, but that's already determined, so it doesn't matter. So he doesn't matter, she doesn't matter, your food doesn't matter. It's just determined by physics. And Dawkins, he said, uh, Hawkins, excuse me, he says this, that, but it's funny because he still finds himself and 
and uh, a lot of his friends that are atheists, he says, I still see them uh, looking both ways before they cross the road, you know? And so they believe that it's all determined, but I'm going to go ahead and make sure I'm taking care of me, right? And so this is just, hey, this is just one of those unsettling conclusions if you choose to believe that, it, that there is no God. The third one is the illusion of value. Y'all say value. The illusion of value, that there's no actual value. Like if I brought a box out here, if I, if I, if I had this bottle, I said, in this bottle does not contain water, but contains value. You'd be like, well, how do you know? And if you, if you believe that there is no God, then it's hard to know what is valuable because value is, it's, it's immaterial. It's hard to measure that, that it's, it's incredibly difficult and it's scientifically, um, or excuse me, it's not really scientifically pl- plausible to uh, think in a world that's governed by physics that you can have value. You can't have this concept. And so the moment that we reach outside of our biology and try to hold other biology accountable to some invisible thing that we can't really put in a bottle or in a box, then we have to appeal to justice. And so what happens is that this is all an illusion if you believe that there is no God. And so there's no such thing uh, as justice. And so justice is just what you make it out to be. And when there is no value, um, it makes it incredibly hard to have a law that governs the land. So talking with my brother Cole, he kind of laughed when we were talking about these, these tenets um, is what I initially called them of atheism. He said, well, Chad, there's, there's really no dogma when it comes to atheists. Like, like they don't unite around anything. Like you should go and uh, go to like a philosophy group and maybe a group of atheists and they'll say, well, here are my thoughts. And, and the only thing that's really mutual in atheism is that there is nothing in common and the truth is relative, right? Y'all have heard this before. One of the virtues of our culture today is tolerance, right? And so you have your truth and I have my truth and you have your values. You think you should homeschool your kids and you think you shouldn't even have kids. And so, and that's our values and that's okay as long as we can all get along. But, and that's all fine and dandy until it comes to justice. Because there's some people in our culture that they value things like this. But who are we to say that their values are wrong. They just have a different truth than we do. And we should just tolerate that. Because really there's no God that governs this. And so we should celebrate the fact that they expressed how they feel. And if you're not a believer, your gut should be turning. And if you are a believer, your gut should be turning. The reason why we decry the ridiculousness of of racism in our culture is because we value humans. And the reason why we decry the racism that's systemic in our culture where there was once a day where we considered people three-fifths of a human being is because we believe that God created all men equal. If you're here and this, man, if, if this doesn't move you or offend you, then you need to rethink, man, what's going on in your heart. And, and, and guys, I just want to tell you that, that there are some unsettling conclusions to the logical consequences if you choose to believe that there is no God. And the crazy thing is, is that we have no leg to stand on when it comes to justice. But when we see the ridiculousness of men and women choosing to think because they're white or because they're black or because they're yellow or whatever, because of whoever they are, they're better than somebody. 
And we don't cast that out, man. We are on a slippery slope. And so, man, let me just be honest. Like, I can't relate. If you're, if you're an African-American, and I can't relate to the pain that you feel. But I can empathize, I can sympathize, and I can speak out that this kind of stuff is crazy. And we have to have a common system of values because if we head towards atheism, if we head towards no belief, then value becomes an illusion and we have no leg to stand on, which is fine, tolerate in our culture, tolerate all you want, but when it comes to justice, we have to be held accountable to something. And so here's some unsettling conclusions of the logical consequences if you choose to step away from God. So I wonder, what does Jesus think about what you think about Jesus? We go on here in verse 26 in John 20. It says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And I love this because Thomas, he was doubting. He didn't believe the disciples what they had seen, but, but the disciples still invited Thomas to hang with them. And so believer, like if you have that friend that's just like doesn't job with what you have to say, don't disown them. Invite them. Say, hey, come on back. And so Thomas was hanging with them, and then Jesus came, the doors being shut, which is amazing. Like he did like some sort of quantum leap through the walls. I don't know. Anyway, some interstellar weird thing. And so him and McConaughey, they worked that out. And so he stood in the midst, and here's what he said. He said, peace to you. So if you're taking notes, spiritual truth number two is that Jesus loves nuns, okay? Jesus loves nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Jesus loves nuns. Notice that Jesus says this. He says, to, I mean, the doubter included, Thomas, the, the guy that followed Jesus, that had, had seen Jesus walk on water, the guy that had seen Jesus feed thousands, the guy that still doubted that Jesus was who Jesus said he was. Like, notice Jesus' response when he reveals himself to him. He doesn't go to Thomas and go, man, what's wrong with you? He just says, peace to you. If you walked in here and you think that somehow, someway, Jesus is angry at you, he's not. He loves you. And he wants to extend peace to you. That Jesus, he's not self-righteous. He's not, he's not angry at the situation. He's saying, no, 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 I long to show myself to you. And so if you come in here and you're disinterested in God or even hostile towards God, know that Jesus extends a salutation of peace. And this is the gospel, that God wants to make peace with you, that there is a conflict that the Scripture says that is sin, that you and I know that there's something broken inside of our heart, and that brokenness creates a division between us and God. But God is not trying to stiff-arm you in your brokenness, but he gets in proximity to your, uh, your, your pain. He gets in proximity to your brokenness, and he rushes into your mess, and he says, peace to you. I want to make peace with you, and I want to give peace to you. And this is what Jesus says. He loves the nuns. And so I remember when Cole first said that, when he said, man, I've deconverted. I've walked away from the faith. I, I don't believe that there's a God. He said, well, what do, you, what do you think? How does this hit you? I mean, does this hurt your heart? Does this upset you? And I just looked at him and said, look, Cole. I said, I either believe God is sovereign or not. And he's a big God, and, and you weren't upholding him. And so, man, his word says, he who began a good work, is faithful and just to complete it. And I'm sad for you that, that you're going to squander some years, but I'm, I'm just praying and expecting that God, he'll take care of himself. And this is just all a part of his plan. And so I'm not happy about what you've done, but, but what you've done doesn't change my love for you. 
It doesn't change anything that I've ever thought about you. And so, believer, don't hate. Don't argue. Don't try to convince. That's God's job. But just simply bring them to Jesus. Hang out with the Thomas in your life. Invite him into your circle and just simply show him Christ. He needs to see Jesus in you. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we just need to be cracked pots, vessels that are broken, that show the radiance of God's glory to the watching world. Point number three, if you're taking notes, Jesus, he invites you to come and see. He invites you to come and see. And I love this because, again, Jesus isn't trying to like, um, you know, he's isn't trying to punk uh, Thomas. He isn't trying to put Thomas in his place. He, he isn't trying to look at Thomas like, I can't believe you and discipline in him or anything. But, but this is how Jesus responds. He, he speaks to Thomas. Maybe he's speaking to you tonight. He says, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Notice that Thomas never made his request known to Jesus in his presence. But Jesus knew exactly what Thomas needed in order to have faith, and he offered it to him. And so maybe some of you are here and you're like, man, I just can't believe in God because something terrible has happened in my life. And God knows that about you. And he wants to sit in your pain and help you get through your, your loss. He wants to mourn with you. Maybe some of you are here tonight and you're just so full of insecurity or self-doubt. Maybe you've come in here and, and you've already written the letter in which you're going to take a bunch of Xanax or a bunch of pills or, or go to some sort of like farm party where you get all the pharmaceuticals and mix it all together. And you're, you're going to try to take yourself out because you're so depressed. And Jesus knows that about you and he will speak into your life a word of value that you were created and he will meet you where you're at. He knows what you need and he wants to minister to you in a very specific way and that's what he does here with Thomas and he longs he says oh come and examine come and see and do not be unbelieving but believe that Jesus's invitation is simple come and see Jesus never tried to convert anyone He never sat down with somebody and said, well, well let, what if I put it this way? What if I show you this? Jesus simply revealed the Father to humanity. He just simply revealed himself. And people either, either like the rich young ruler, if you know the Bible much, the guy that walked up to Jesus and, and said, hey, I want eternal life. And Jesus told him what he needs to do. He revealed himself to this guy, which we call the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler walked away. Jesus didn't go hunt, hunt him down. He simply revealed himself to the man, and the man chose to reject the gift. And Jesus, he simply just reveals himself, and we either receive him, we either accept him, or we reject him. Because, guys, you don't have to sell a gift. Like when I come home with a gift for my girls, I don't have to go, look, like you really, you're really going to like this gift. And let me tell you about how awesome this gift is. They're like, oh, my gosh, you have a gift. Just please give it to me. And they get so excited when I bring them a gift. And it may just be a sticker from the store or whatever, but they get really excited, you know, over a little sticker. It's awesome. And so, but when I bring it to them, I'm like, oh, you're going to really like this sticker. Let me explain how the sticker works. And let me explain where you can use it. And hang on, before you make a decision, I just, before you make a decision, I want to be honest with you. It's a stick, you know, and I, I don't have to sell them the gift. It's a gift. And the greatest gift given to humanity 
was the God-man Jesus. Jesus invites us to come and see because he loves us. And notice he doesn't tell Thomas, hey, you need to believe before you can examine. We start a paradigm because you don't have to believe in order to, to belong here. That Jesus, he says, hey, come follow me, come examine, and then once you've examined what you need to examine, then make your decision. Don't feel like you have to make a decision and then you're able to be a part of the club. Christianity, unlike any other organization, says, hey, come be a part, come belong, and then you can believe, and then you can start behaving. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And so Thomas, he says this in response. He says in verse 28, Says then Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. I love this that he uses these two words. It's kind of interesting that he doesn't just say, My boy or master or whatever. He says, My Lord and my God. This word God, y'all probably heard this word before. It's a very common word. It's the Greek word theos. And it literally it's like a metaphysical, like distant, deistic. I mean, it's like God. So he's saying to Jesus, I believe that you're God. But he says this phrase, and this is a very important phrase because I think a lot of us have come in here, and maybe you're here and you believe like there is a God out there, and maybe you're like, Yeah, Jesus is probably God, and you kind of have like a theos type view. Maybe you're a theist, a deist, or whatever you want to call a secular human. I don't know anyway. So you have some sort of label you adhere to. Maybe you're a nun now. I'm not real sure. And so, but you believe that there's a God. And some of you would say, yes, I believe Jesus was significant. I believe that there's a God. But a lot of us have come in here and you are not declaring Jesus as your Lord and your God. And this word Lord is the word curios. And it, it, it literally means someone to whom you belong And so Thomas is looking at Jesus and he says, oh, now I see you're big, you're God, and I belong to you, and I'll follow you, and I'll go to India and tell the people about you, or I'll go to Egypt or wherever Thomas landed. You're my Lord and my God. Do you know Jesus as God and Lord? Moving on to verse 29, it says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And and so a lot of us would say, man, well, if I could touch Jesus' hands, if I could touch his side, then I would believe too. If I could see him, then I would believe. But I would say, no, you wouldn't. Because what we've seen in the story What happened historically is that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he revealed himself to over 500 people. The resurrected Jesus, they knew what happened. They knew his demise. They knew how he died, and then he revealed himself. But what the book of Acts tells us is that only 120 were waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. What happened to the other 380? Why weren't they desperate to follow God? They they maybe said, oh, that's cool that Jesus did that, but we're not desperate to call him Lord. And so just because if you could see him, that doesn't necessarily mean that you would believe there was a third of angels who were in glory in heaven and they fell from heaven because they were dissuaded that God was enough for them. And so they chose to rebel against God. And they saw unfiltered. So just because you could see doesn't necessarily mean that you would believe. But I got a question. Why don't you believe if you don't? What else does God need to do to help you. And, and maybe your struggle with faith, maybe, maybe it has virtually nothing to do with atheism. I just said that really weird. <laughs> atheism. 
Maybe, maybe your struggle with faith has virtually nothing to do with athe- atheism, but, but come on. I mean, it, it probably wasn't something that was so compelling, an argument that was so compelling that caused you to walk away. But maybe the reason that you've lost your faith, maybe the reason that you're struggling with your faith is way more personal than any of that. That maybe the reason why you're struggling with your faith is not because atheism became so appealing, but because the version of theism that you have bought into was weak. And this may sting a little bit, but, but maybe, maybe you have the wrong God. And over the next few weeks, I just want to invite you to come and see, enter in the conversation with me and my brother Cole, a nun, and see what maybe God has to say to you, because I want to convince you that the God maybe that you had adhered to for some time was not the God of the Bible, and I want to convince you, I want to be persuasive, I want to show you my cards that, that the God that, that you are losing faith in, maybe he never existed to begin with. That maybe you got the wrong God and that's why you were disenchanted with him. And oh my goodness, I, I know that there's something inside of you that hopes and I know that there's something inside of me that hopes that, that, that we are more, that there's something bigger out there, some greater purpose in which we've been called to, but our only hope for that hope is God. And so who needs God? We all do. And so if you're a believer tonight, I'm going to invite the band to take the stage and I just want to speak to the believers in the room, and then I'm going to speak to those who maybe are on the outskirts. Maybe you're not believing. Maybe you're just checking Jesus out. I just want to uh, speak to you guys and, and give y'all two invitations and to those groups respectively. The, the first response, if you're a believer, man, I just want to encourage you that notice that, that Thomas's friends, they're not arguing with Thomas. They're not trying to, to convince philosophically. They're not trying to dissuade. I mean, they're not arguing. And when I meet with my brother Cole, I'm not trying to tell him, no, you're wrong. And no, you made this mistake. I don't, I don't get it. I just hear him out. And so believer, don't, don't be hostile. And if you're a believer, man, I want to invite you. If you know someone that is, that is checked out of religion or they're, they're kind of walking away from God, invite them to come and see I love when you look at John chapter 1 that Jesus, he invited a guy uh, named Andrew to, to come follow him. And then Andrew went and found a guy named Philip. And he said, hey, Philip, hey, come and see the Messiah. And, and so Andrew followed Jesus. And then he went out and invited his buddy just to come and see. And then you go on later on in John chapter 1 that, that um, Philip invited a guy named, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Philip was, was invited by Jesus to come follow him. And he goes out and he says, hey, hey, to Nathaniel, hey, come and see. And so Andrew, he invites his, his brother Simon, excuse me, and, and then Philip follows Jesus, and he says, he says, hey, Nathaniel, come and see. And so believer, I just want to invite you, man, grab that invite card. Tell your friends, tell your family, whoever you do life with. I know that there's somebody in your circle that, that you do life with. Man, get, get in proximity to their process and get, say, hey, come, come check out a new perspective. Man, get, give it five weeks and see maybe what God has to say to you or just come and see. And if you're a nun, if you're walking away from faith or maybe you've you just have questions, and they're, and they're unsettling to you, man. I just want to invite you to, to come hear me out. I want to invite you into the conversation with me and my brother. And just give us a few weeks. Come hear me out. Let's have a conversation. Next week, go to Great Questions, and let's talk about the concerns that you may have tonight. 
or the concerns that you may have in life. Believers, invite people to come and see. And if you're struggling with faith, give it a shot over the next few weeks. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you so much that, that you are not a God that is distant, even when we have disbelief. That's incredible. What other guru of whatever, whatever organization would, would extend such great patience? And God, so we thank you that you're long-suffering because you wish that none would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of you, Jesus. And we believe that a saving knowledge means that there is life abundantly. And so, God, I pray for those who feel a dissonance from the promises that you have proclaimed, that they would be, um, they would be invigorated tonight, that like what Paul said, that in Christ all your promises, God, they are yes and amen. So, God, I pray for faith to be stirred tonight. I pray against the enemy that would rob faith. God, I pray that those who are believers tonight, that they would have a burden, that they would quit living like Christian atheists, that they would quit proclaiming that God is their God, that he has saved them, and not let their life reflect that. But God, they would allow their lives to have integrity. God, that you would help them to have a burden for their friends. They would go and they would, like Nathaniel, go to Phillips and they would say, come and see, come and see Jesus. And God, for those who don't think like we think. God, I pray that they would know that they are welcome. God, I pray that in our nation we would see love sweep across differences. God, that in Christ there's neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave nor free, but we're all equal in you. And God, I pray that paradigm would be a representation of that. God, that people would see Jesus in us. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.